so thankful that you're here today. This is just a really wonderful day, and uh, God's just moving among us. Don't ever remember getting to make these kind of announcements before at the beginning of a sermon, but we have quite a few people that are ready to surrender their life today and to be immersed into Christ. Let me tell you about them. Uh, Ruth Barnes. Uh, Ruth started coming to Landmark on Easter Sunday a few weeks ago. She's been asking a lot of questions. She's actually been following Jesus for a while, but she's never been baptized, and she's ready to take that next step. And then there's Ken Geyer. Ken's been coming to our Overcomers RSVP ministry. He's fighting some addictions in his life. He's decided to recognize Jesus Christ as his higher power, and he's ready to surrender his life to Jesus. And then we have Charles Mangum. He's actually attending Landmark 101 today, uh, but really couldn't wait to the end to have a new start and want to be baptized right now. And then we have Amanda Grove. She's a senior at ACA. She's uh, been coming to youth group activities. Casey Ryan's been studying the Bible with her, and she desires for her sins to be washed away. Amen. And awesome. So we got a lot to do uh, in just a moment. I'm going to ask these guys to go to the back. But first, let's, let's bow together and pray and thank God for what's going on here. What, Jeremy? Oh, oh, excuse me, guys. Uh, we got one more card. Oh my, another baptism. Amen. Uh, this one. Oh, this is Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. Oh, Jesus, we're gonna have to have a meeting with you, man. I mean, we, these guys, the rest of them need it. You know. I mean, they've got some sins. You don't have any sins. Do we have enough elders here to come meet with Jesus just for a moment and talk him out of this. I mean, he doesn't need his sins washed away. Guys, can you see the position John the Baptist was in when Jesus, li- when Jesus lined up, not with fake people, but with some real people to be baptized? You guys are good. You clap for fake news. Because <laughs> I want you to see how radical this moment was when Jesus came to be baptized with a bunch of sinners. You're talking about unexpected Let's go to the book of Luke. Everybody's with me. Those were not real baptisms. You're all looking a little confused at this moment, all right? I hope none of you have the name of Amanda Grove, Charles Mangum, or Ken Geyer, all right? If you do, just go ahead and come up and let's be baptized, right? All right, Luke chapter 3. Go with me there and watch this unexpected moment. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. The Greek implies there the people are all lining up and Jesus gets in line with them. As he was praying, heaven was opened. This is particular to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke's the only gospel that tells us that Jesus was praying while he was being baptized. Heaven opened, heaven and earth connect, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Here's the unexpected, guys. Jesus is in line with sinners. Think about this. He's the creator of the world. He's the creator of each person. It's like Walt Disney going to Disneyland and getting in a line. It's like George Lucas, the creator of all the Star Wars series, going just to a regular show and getting in line with you and I to buy a ticket. It makes no sense. They're the creator. They don't have to wait in line. And yet Jesus comes as a common sinner. And listen to me. 
John the Baptist was embarrassed. He knew this didn't seem right. In fact, he says in Matthew's gospel, you know what, Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. I'm the sinner. You're not the sinner. Please let, would you baptize me? I don't want to baptize. I do not feel worthy to baptize you. And Jesus insisted. And if Jesus were literally to come forward here, we would be embarrassed. But Jesus was not embarrassed. Because Jesus wanted to be so identified with you and I that he was immersed in the same dirty, muddy water that people would have their sins washed away in. He's immersed, you might say, into their sins. You see, on that day, Jesus had no confession of sins to make. But there was a confession made about him from his father. You are my son, whom I love, I am well pleased with you. Who has not yearned to hear those words from their father? And honestly, the words here are quotations of two messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that say these things. So so not only is this just an amazing affirmation of Jesus as a person, it's an affirmation of Jesus as being the Messiah. So at the beginning of his ministry, he's validated. How many times do you think Jesus rehearsed those words in his mind? I am beloved of my Father. He is pleased with me. He loves me. If you've ever had someone special in your life who said that to you for the first time, you don't forget those words. And Jesus didn't, and they sustained him through his ministry. You go, okay, buddy, well, time out. Why was Jesus baptized? I mean, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. The Bible says John the Baptist was baptizing, calling people to repentance. Jesus has nothing to repent of. For the remission of sins, he has no sins to be remitted. Two two reasons in Scripture. Number one, he was an example. Uh, Matthew says Jesus did this to fulfill all righteousness. Uh, What that literally means is Jesus wanted to be an example of us, of what a righteous person did. He was obedient. You know, we can have all of our excuses of why we want to be baptized or don't want to be baptized. But Jesus, who really, really, really didn't need it, was willing to be baptized to demonstrate to us obedience. But to me, I think the most important reason what we see here in in Luke is Jesus wanted to identify with us. He wanted to say, I'm just like any common sinner. I've come to this earth to identify my life with your life so that I can do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. And so he's willing to be plunged in that water. So unexpected. And then let's go to some more unexpected verses. Verse 23. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Now, now here we're beginning to see the genealogy of Jesus. Every other gospel has the baptism backed up immediately with the temptation of Jesus. It is only Luke who goes baptism, genealogy, temptation. Now, understand this. When gospel writers are writing their biographies, they do not feel compelled like we would to write things in chronological order. That, That wasn't a part of their deal. What they did is they took stories of Jesus and they clumped them together in sections to make a point. And and so Luke, unlike Matthew, puts the genealogy. Now, 
He also says Jesus was a Levite. Not a Levite, he was 30 years old. That's the age that a Levite would begin their ministry. They wanted someone to experience enough life, to have lived it well enough, to now be able to begin ministry. It sounds awfully old to us. And then we have this genealogy. Here's what you got to see. When Matthew gives his genealogy of the, of, the, of the people before Jesus, his ascendants, he goes back to Abraham, the father of faith. When Luke gives his genealogy, he goes back further. He goes all the way back to Adam. Why the distinction? Matthew was a gospel written primarily for Jewish people. They wanted to go back to their hero, the father of faith, Abraham. Luke has got a different point. Luke wants to go all the way back to Adam to say, this is not a Jewish faith. This is a faith for everybody. So let's answer that question real quickly. Why, was, why does Luke include Adam in this genealogy? Why does he go back to the root of Adam? And here's the answer. He's making a point. Here's the point. Jesus is the Savior of everyone. That's been his point the whole book. He's not a Jewish Savior. He's a Jewish Savior and a Gentile Savior. Who's he come to save? The very worst of people. My friends, Adam would not look impressive on your genealogy. He was a failed husband. He he didn't protect his wife in the, eyes of, in, in the face of temptation. He was a failed father. He fathered the first murderer on the earth. And he was a failed sinner who his sin brought upon us the curse of sin. Listen to me. Everything has been messed up since Adam sinned. And though we might not want Luke in our genealogy, and please understand this, a writer in the first century would not have felt, ob- felt obligated to, to include Adam. If you wanted to make your genealogy up in that day, it was okay to skip some people. If you had some black sheep, some embarrassing people in your family, just don't put them in there. But my friends, though we might not want Adam in there, Luke absolutely wanted Adam. Because he wanted all of us to understand that Jesus has come to save everybody. In fact, Jesus has come, the Apostle Paul would say, to be the second Adam. If you have your Bible, look over just a moment in Romans chapter 5, where Paul talks about verse 18. Listen to the parallel. Consequently, just as one transpass resulted in condemnation for all people, that's Adam, one transpass led for everybody, So also one righteous act, that's Jesus, resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many were made righteous. Adam is in the long line of sinners. That's his point. Jesus is in the line with Adam. And Jesus comes to reverse the curse. He comes to undo everything Adam did, but in order to do that, he's got to be one of us. So the story continues to take some unexpected turns. He's baptized like a sinner. He's in the line of someone like Adam. 
And then he is tempted by Satan. Now, before I read that passage, I want you to land on those words I just said. Because they didn't hit me about 15 years ago. Jesus was tempted. I've had people argue me about that. No, no, no. No, no. Jesus was tempted. Well, what does it mean to be tempted? It means there's a part of you, there's a part of you in, that is drawn to something wrong. Listen to me, friends. Understand this. Temptation is not sinful. We're all tempted. The sin is when you bite it. The sin is when you go for it. But you need to understand, because this will help you with Jesus a whole lot. Jesus understands what it's like to be tempted. And in in Luke chapter 4, Satan's going to come in, and he is going to throw the kitchen sink at Jesus. Right here at the inaugural of Jesus' ministry, he is going to nip it in the bud. A look at our passage. Let's start reading some unexpected words. Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. It was led by, crazy, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. 40 days, pretty long fast, right? He's hungry. Now, Satan's going to come in, and he's going to tempt him in the three ways that are common to all of us. John lists these in 1 John. The lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the order Luke gives us the temptations. Let's look at number one. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus is starving. Jesus has power to show off miraculously here. He's got the power to do this. He can turn the stone into bread. But it's coming from Satan. So Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Satan, let me tell you this. What sustains me is more than bread bread. It's God's bread. What sustains me that you're not going to mess up here is my relationship with God. And then we see the temptation of the lust of the eyes. Verse 5, the devil led him up to high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me. And I'll give it to anyone I want. You see, God, Satan, even God would call him the ruler of the earth, the prince of the earth. At this point, he is control of all the kingdoms. Jesus has come to get the kingdom back. And Satan's tempting him with a shortcut. If you worship me, it will all be yours. What's the temptation? Jesus You can become a king without a cross. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Though you might be able to give me what I've come to get, I'm not going to do it by compromising who I am. See, that's what gets a lot of us in trouble. Is we want something legitimate, but we compromise our values in order to get it. Jesus would not do this. So he's tempted with this shortcut. So here's what I want you to see 
in this story. Look, continue to finish it with me. Look at the pride of life. The devil led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Uh, the temple mount's real high over Jerusalem. You've probably seen pictures. The southeast corner is 450 feet above the Kidron Valley. So how spectacular for Jesus to throw himself down. Here's what Satan says. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Satan even quotes Scripture. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to a test. You see, Satan's trying to test him so he'll compromise. It's like one of us testing God. We're sick. We believe God's got the power to heal us, which I believe he does. And so we don't go to a doctor. God, I'm just going to test you. We believe God protects us, and I got a sports car, and I go on a winding, hilly road, and I drive 90 miles per hour going, God, protect me. You don't test God that way. And then look what happens. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he's not giving up. He left him until an opportune time. My friends, here's what I want you to see. Here's the next unexpected. Jesus is in the line of Satan's fire. I mean, Jesus is tempted, I would imagine, in an intensity level that you and I have never experienced. Because if Satan can stop him here, he's changed the history of the world. And so he is tempted by Satan to fall to his crazy schemes, to do a shortcut. Now, here's something interesting to me. The only reason we know about this is because Jesus told us. He wanted you to see that he's just like you. He's been tempted. And let's be honest. This is not the end of this. This very same temptation to be the Messiah without a cross will plague him all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, why did the Spirit lead Jesus into temptation? I mean, did you notice that at the beginning? The Spirit, after his baptism, leads him into this place. Why? I'm telling you, I think this was a way for Jesus to be strengthened to face the temptation he was going to have later. Because I believe in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the snake comes, the Satan, the snake comes back, Jesus is in the shadow of the cross, and everything in him wants to skip it. And so it's this temptation that prepared him. Have you ever underwent a temptation and you go, you know what, if I'd not underwent something similar years ago, I would have never been ready for this. I was thinking about this this week. When we moved here 21 years ago, uh, and I was hired um, sort of secretly, um, for some reason, and you were around here, there was something controversial about it. I do not know why I'm controversial, but for some reason I am, okay? And so some people were going crazy, and there was all these rag sheets that were writing about us, and everybody thought Landmark had gone to the deep end, and why in the world would they hire this guy? And it was really, it was really intense, but I remember thinking at that moment, I can handle this with the power of God, because when I had lived here 12 years ago and I was the youth and campus minister, I'd been attacked then, a, a, a 
quote-unquote spiritual leader in this town began to spread rumors about me that, if you're old enough, you'll remember this, that I was a part of the Crossroads movement that was a really a semi-cultic movement. And so he started telling everybody, because we had all these college students and people who were like, man, this is a cult, but he's a, the lead. I, I went to the man's office to, to confront him, and he wouldn't believe me. And he went again to a meeting of all the preachers in the area and said it again. And if it, weren't been, if it wouldn't have been for some great elders like Bill Page, I would have not survived that. But when I came back 12 years later, and everybody started attacking, you know what? God had used that to prepare me for it. I knew when I moved back to Montgomery, Alabama, what it would be like. My goodness, I had been called a cult leader. I was okay with being called a liberal. <laughs> that was okay. And I think in this temptation, Jesus, to an incredible degree, is being prepared to continue to face Satan. But he's also being prepared to help us. You see, when we go to the book of Hebrews, we've got some young Christians that the newness of following Jesus has worn off. And, and they're getting to be tempted to go back into sin. And this book is written to say, don't leave your faith. And what the writer of Hebrews does is says, you don't have to leave. You can be victorious because Jesus understands. I mean, look at, look at this passage. Jesus understands. Romans 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one, that's Jesus, who's been tempted, listen to this, in every way we are, yet he did not sin. My friend, you never go to God about the temptation you're going through and say, Jesus, this is crazy. I'm tempted to do this. I'm drawn for this. That he ever shakes his head and says, you know what, buddy? I don't get it. I don't understand it. I hope you do okay. In fact, he does more than understand. He can help us. Look at Hebrews 2.18. Because he himself suffered when he is tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. You see, it's the person who's faced it that can help you. In this audience, it's the people who've overcome addictions to drugs that can help the drug addicts. It's the people who have beaten pornography that can help the pornography addicts. It's the, alco the former alcoholics who can help the alcoholic. It's the person who suffers from depression that can help the person with depression. And my friend, when you face Jesus, Jesus has suffered and struggled with temptation, and he can come to your aid. So here's the good news. The good news is we have the same power Jesus did. Isn't that crazy? I don't think we have the intensity of temptation, but the very same things that buffeted Jesus to be strong enough to, to face. We've got, let me, let me name these quickly. He had the Father's love. My friends, if you know someone important to you, loves you, man, that is the biggest key you've got to not fall to temptation. We've got prayer and fasting. That's what Jesus is doing. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. Did you notice Jesus, every time he was tempted, he quoted Scripture? And we find out in Matthew that Jesus had angels, and the Bible says we do too, that come to minister. Everything Jesus had to say no. And that's why our study of these things, of spiritual disciplines a few weeks ago was so important. Because spiritual disciplines are ways I open up my life intentionally so that God can change me. And please listen to this. 
Spiritual disciplines are not about me earning the love of God. Spiritual disciplines are about me putting myself in a place where I can hear God say what he said to Jesus. I love you. So we've got the power. And more than that, we have a Savior who's not foreign to us, who's not up there and we're down here. There's a famous doctor named Paul Brand. He was born in a British colony of India. He was Britain. He was British. He went to England to get his uh, degree to be a doctor. But he never would, could forget the people in India who suffered from leprosy. And so he made it his life work to cure leprosy. And so he went back to India, and he began to study how to cure it. But even beyond bringing a cure, he brought himself. He did something nobody else would do. He moved into the leper colony. He believed the only way he could understand them and have compassion for them was to be with them. And the great compliment of his life, even beyond that he found a cure, was when the people in that leper colony said to him, Paul Brand, you are one of us. And Jesus wants you to know by getting in line to be baptized, by getting in line with Adam, by getting in line of Satan's fire, he wants you and I to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is one of us. He is not simply, Luke wants you to know, the Son of God. He is also the Son of Man. I just got to soak that in. That's strong. That's good news. I hope you've listened to these stories. Here's my question I want to close on for you and for me. Isn't it time for you to get in line with Jesus? That's what he's invited you to do. He's invited you to get in line with him. I remember going to the Jordan River 10 years ago with a group of people from this church, and, and many of us got in the very line Jesus had been in and was baptized in the Jordan River. You see, some of you in this audience, you've never been baptized. Okay, let me talk to you just for a second. And and to me, the number one reason that keeps many of us from being baptized is our pride. Because to be baptized is to admit that you're a sinner. It's to admit you've got some problems in your life, and we don't like to do that. And then it's to subject myself to what seems like a, a meaningless exercise of being dunked in a pool of water with a blue zip on outfit. And it's like, well, come on, man. God, what does that have to do with me getting right with you? I mean, that is a little bit, quite frankly, embarrassing to me to subject myself. Can you hear yourself? It's embarrassing to you. It's embarrassing to you when Jesus Christ was willing to do it himself. When Jesus said, I want to so identify, I'm going to obey the same things you're, you're going to have to obey. I'm going to be baptized. You see, there's lots of cool biblical reasons for being baptized. The one most of us grew up on was remission of sins. It's there. Uh, another one some of us didn't grow up on was we received the Holy Spirit at that point. We become new people at that point. 
But another biblical reason to be baptized is just to obey God. In fact, I think I could argue this morning that the highest reason for baptism is, you know what? This is something God wants me to do. It's something Jesus did. Lord, I'm ready to do it. And I want to say to some of you today, if you've not been baptized, what are you waiting on? Don't you want all those things in your life? I mean, just a moment, we're going to sing this song. You can meet me on this front row. You can get in line. You can actually fill out a real invitation card, and you can be baptized. Now, for some of us, we've been baptized. And man, we were so excited about following Jesus. But somewhere we've fallen out of line. I mean, you were so pumped up. You were on fire for him. You wanted to obey him. And then just like with Jesus, just like with anybody who steps out publicly for God, Satan came at you with all kinds of temptation, and you have fallen. And you wonder if Jesus even cares. And this lesson says to you, he not only cares, he understands, and he will help you get out of the mess that you found yourself in. But here's what you got to do, because he's not a bully. Listen to me. You got to get back in line. You got to put him first. And I'm telling you, if Jesus was willing to get in line with us, wow, how can we not get in line with him? I love the line that Andy shared from Kay in Turkey. Could this really, really be true? Could God really be this good? Luke's answer to you is absolutely follow him, line up with him. So we're about to sing this song. If you need to be baptized today, if you need to get back in line and you need the prayers of the church, if you need to confess some sins, if you need to hear the church say to you, you are beloved, and hear God say to you, you're beloved of me, and why don't you meet us right up here on this front row? We want you to meet Jesus while we stand together and sing.